that great old classic Christian prayer, statement of faith or summary. Those of you who grew up in Christian communities no doubt know it well. Those of you who have not grown up in Christian communities, I encourage you to learn it. Because what I'm about to share is this beautiful way of just describing succinctly what the message of the Bible is all about what God is doing on the world scene, and what it is we claim to believe here as believers in him. If you know it, say it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. And that's all he gets. That's all he gets. Isn't that like the biggest jip? Right? I mean, mean, at least the Father gets to be called Almighty in there, you know, and, 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 he's, and he's called a creator. And I mean, Jesus is getting the airtime in this creed, but the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's move on. And yet without the Holy Spirit, we would be lost. Without the Holy Spirit, this gathering today is meaningless. And we above all people are to be pitied. Worse, we're liars. Without the Holy Spirit, It is incomplete. We need the spirit of God in in our lives. And and the world needs the spirit of God on the prowl. In these last few weeks, we have been delving deep into the biblical witness and Jesus' testimony to the spirit and what it means to worship him, what it means to seek him, how to identify him. And today, I want to highlight in on something we take for granted but that we shouldn't, that you've already said this morning, Holy Spirit, holy. He is a holy spirit. You just call him that naturally, don't you? I mean, who doesn't? But but do you realize that the Bible typically doesn't? In the Bible... He's called the Spirit of God. And in fact, the first time he pops on the scene, Genesis 1, verse 2, you cannot get more than two verses into the Bible without meeting the Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. What I want to talk to you today about is why the Spirit of God, or who at other times will be called by his name the Spirit of Yahweh, is described as the Holy Spirit. Because he is, through the Bible and through Christian history, he is called the Holy Spirit. Why not the Redeeming Spirit, or the Comforting Spirit, or the Convicting Spirit? These are all true. He's all described by these terms. Why is it that the word holy gets attached to him? Throughout the Bible, you will find no other adjective put before the name spirit when it refers to God. 
In the Bible, you will find no other adjective attached to the Spirit except for holy. Why is that so important? That even when we come to our summary statements, we just do it casually. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about this word, holy. Now, there's this uh, pretty cool passage that none of us ever want to read, that you'll find in Leviticus, because, of course, none of us ever want to read Leviticus. Let me share it with you today. Yahweh comes to Moses, and he commands Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel. Israel is gathered there at Mount Sinai, and God is giving them his covenant and his, and his commands and his law, his decrees, his Torah, if you will. And Yahweh comes and he says, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy. All right? Be holy. Because I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. There's somewhat, I think, of a mission statement in this. That we as the people of God are to be holy because God is fundamentally holy. And then Leviticus 19, where this draws from, starts to move on describing what that looks like in practice, examples of how to be holy. Now, I've been thinking about this, and uh, this is either going to be fun or it's going to be dorky or it's going to probably be both. <laughs> but what I want to do is I want to read Leviticus 19 to you because I know you've been waiting. Some of you for years... Please, the emails come in weekly. Please, can we do Leviticus 19? Today is your day. But what I want you to do in relation to this is I want, we need full audience participation, and that includes those of you listening at home too. We need full audience participation. I want you to set yourself apart with a certain kind of brazen boldness and audacity as I read this, and here's how I want it to work. I am going to read this laundry list from Leviticus 19, and believe me, it is just like a running bullet point list. When you hear something that you would go, yeah, yeah, that, that feels like a way to be holy, I want you to stand up. Even if you're the only person, you need to, stand, you need to own this, all right? You need to set yourself apart and own it. If you think this is a description of holiness, if you're like, yeah, this is how to be holy, you stand up. But as soon as I come to something where you're like, eh, no, come on, you know, whatever, you need to sit down. I know this will be like whack-a-mole. I know it will feel like liturgical worship from the old days. Stand up, sit down, stand up. But, but I, I believe in you. God will anoint your knees. You will make it. All right? We, we know what to do. I'm going to call you on this if you blow me off. I'll read it again, and then I'll start. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel. Speak to fellowship of faith and say to them, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect his father and mother, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Only parents are standing up. <laughs> Now, those of you standing, as soon as it goes off the rails, you can sit. Those of you not standing, as soon as you hear th something that you think is a call to what God wants of you in holiness, you got to get up, all right? All right? Here we go. 
Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am Yahweh your God. Yeah, we still have some that's like, nah. Yeah, some are sitting down. Yeah, idols, idols throughout the house, right? Okay. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over must be burned up. Some really interesting practices I was waiting to see if in some of your homes. Okay, okay, we lost you. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. Do not go over your vineyard a second time. Leave them for the poor and alien. I am the Lord your God. A lot of people with vineyards and fields here. Okay. Do not steal. Do not lie. <laughs> Dang, we're in trouble with some of you around here. <laughs> Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God, I am Yahweh. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Are you staying standing on overnight on that? Yeah, I didn't say twice a month. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front, of the in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am Yahweh. Do not pervert justice. Do not go about spreading slander among other people. Do not do anything that endangers, endangers your neighbor's life. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, and so you will not share in his guilt. Wow, we're up here for the long haul. I'm going to get you. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. I kid you not, it's the very next verse. Do not make different kinds of animals. Yeah, we're just kind of caught in the fog here, right? We got to let that one sit. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. That's a heavy one, isn't it? Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Everyone wants rare. Do not practice divination or sorcery. Yeah, we're 50-50. I don't know. Where are we going <laughs> to? COVID meeting tonight at 7 p.m., all right? <laughs> Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. I know someone in my family who's adhering to this one. This one I'm interested on. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. All right, everyone else is out slashing themselves over graves. <laughs> Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God, for I am Yahweh. It's like, how do you not stand on that one now? Like, you know, no matter what you think, right? Not one of us was universal. Did you notice it? 
because you're looking around, right? Even those in the front, like anyone else standing on this one? Am I going up, right? You can have a seat, by the way. Thank you for participating in that. Not one of us was universal, right? And yet every single one of these is God's description of what it means to be holy. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Because God's definitions of holiness are not often our definitions of holiness. And what God is seeking to communicate through this word holy is not often what we understand, I think, through this word holy. Because all it means to be holy. What it means to be holy is simply this. To be set apart. What God was seeking to do through Leviticus 19 was set his people apart. Apart from what was normal, apart from what was cultural, apart from what was popular, apart from what was the status quo. He was giving them a new way of living, literally from head to toe, that encompassed every aspect and avenue of human life and relationship. From what you eat, to what you wear, to how you conduct business and relate to other people. All of this was designed to make Israel weird. To make them utterly different from the people around them. To set them apart in a special way for a special purpose and to have every aspect of their lives to radiate out that difference. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is holy because he is set apart. He is utterly different. He is different in every conceivable way from what is normal and what is popular and what is the status quo. There is something other about him from what is normal in our sight. The Holy Spirit is weird. And Yahweh says, be weird because I, Yahweh, your God, am weird. Be different because I, Yahweh, your God, am different. Be set apart because I, Yahweh, your God, am set apart. What these strange Old Testament laws were meant to do was to set you apart as one marked and known and chosen by God himself. The Holy Spirit sets you apart. He sets you apart and you are different. If the Spirit of God lives in you. I want to take you to a New Testament passage now. Paul writes this to a Corinthian church. It's fascinating, and I should back up for a moment. It's fascinating to me that whenever Paul writes a letter to a church, he always calls them holy. You might not realize this, but in this Bible, we have an Old and a New Testament. And in the section that we call the New Testament, there's 27 books. And in those 27 books, 13 of them are letters written by the Apostle Paul to churches. And in virtually every single one of those letters, do you know what he calls them? Holy. Even when they're not, 
I mean, I think of a letter like 1 Corinthians, where it's written to this church that if you've got some glorified image of what like, life was like in Christ in the first century, some like, image to model yourself off of, just spend five minutes in 1 Corinthians and you'll be like, oh no, we're not going there. Right? And yet, what does Paul say to all of them? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossus. It's how Colossians opens. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, to all the holy ones in Christ at Philippi, together with their overseers and deacons, which I think is funny that he doesn't include them in the holy ones at first, right? 1 Corinthians 1. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you because he fills it out even more. He says this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. It's fascinating to me that Paul calls people holy that we would never assume to be holy. Paul calls people holy even when they're not because that's what the Holy Spirit does to you. He makes you holy. He sets you apart. He just does. There's no getting around it. If the Spirit of God is in you, there is a new word that applies to you, and that word is holy. Can I ask, do you think of yourself as holy? Do you go about talking about yourself like holy? <laughs> Wouldn't you like hit someone in the mouth if they went about talking about themselves as holy? But you are. You are. It even gets worse. The word holy, it's what gets translated in the English Bible as saints. Do you think of yourself as a saint? God does. If the Holy Spirit is in you, God calls you a saint. You know what I want you to do this morning? I want you to turn to the person next to you, maybe stand behind you. Somebody didn't come here with, perhaps, but just like introduce yourself really quick. Take like 10 seconds and just trade names. Go, all right, go. Okay, you got the name. I know where you're going. I know we're like 20 minutes later I'll round you in. I know where you're going, all right? You got the name, right? Now I want, to and I want you to turn around and insist on talking about that person by that name, but put the word saint in front of it. We have Saint Del. We have Saint Ted. We have Saint Steve right here in the front row. I see Saint Tina. Go around and introduce yourself as Saint whatever your name happens to be and, and insist on calling that person Saint Blank for the rest of the day. Will you do it? Far left pocket, far right pocket, they won't do it. <laughs> but you are. But you are. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. I'm going to insist on calling them St. Riley, St. Benjamin, and St. Tina for the rest of the day. I'm going to insist that you call me St. David, all right? <laughs> but that's what we are. God has made you holy. Because when God says you're holy, you are holy even if you're not. You follow what I mean? 
God is in the business of setting you apart. Look at how Paul puts it. Paul will put it this way. He opens up this this section of 1 Corinthians 6, and he says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? He goes on and says that. He says, it's kind of a truism, right? The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. He just puts it out there and he doesn't even expect an answer on it because it's just such a given in the biblical trajectory. It's not only given the biblical trajectory, it's a given even more in the non-biblical trajectory. Go up to people today who don't claim to be Christian and ask them if they believe in any kind of concept of afterlife or heaven, who will go to heaven and who will not. And I guarantee you, even though they will not use the word holy, it will somehow come down to the idea of good versus wicked. And so Paul says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes on to list a whole bunch of examples of what wickedness looks like. He says, don't be deceived. Not the sexually immoral. Not idolaters. Nor adulterers. Nor male prostitutes, if that's an issue for you. He goes on and he talks about other things. Those engaging in homosexual practice, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. He says none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Not a comprehensive list, but just a sampling he gives of examples of wickedness. You know what the problem is with example runs like that? It's kind of really easy at first to go, not me. You know, I I can't speak for you, but male prostitution has never really been a sin issue for me. All right? Adultery. Some of us here have gone down that path. But for others of us, it's easy to judge someone who has if we haven't been. But you start getting a little bit deeper into that list. Like people who are greedy. People who use the gifts of God, be it alcohol or drugs or even food or whatever might be to great excess. It starts getting a little all-encompassing, doesn't it? Which makes this next line by Paul all the more impacting. And that is what some of you were. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Yeah, I know. I know it too well. And I know it means me. But Paul says, no. That's what you were. Because you were washed. You were sanctified. Do you know that word, sanctified? It's just the way that you make a verb out of the word holy. You could say holified, but that's weird. It's sanctified. It's the same thing. You were washed. You were made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes wicked people 
and he makes them holy. He sets them apart in Jesus, and he says, you are holy now. I, the Lord, your God, am holy. You be holy. The Holy Spirit comes and makes you holy, just like him. Pretty cool, isn't it? To think that you are a holy one of God, sanctified, a saint. It's what God does. And yet, holiness is also a process. Because what the Holy Spirit does is he he grows you into the status that he's given you. It's like he puts you in the holy clothes and the holy shoes and he helps you fill them out. It's a process by which he comes alongside of you, turning you and transforming you into that reality of that of which you already are. This is the work of God and what he is doing on the scene and what he is about. Let me, let me put it this way. Paul will say, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what the day of Jesus Christ is? The day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh, the day when Christ returns. That God has begun a good work in you through his spirit, but he isn't done with you yet. He isn't done with you yet. And some of you know it so full well. Oh, I know God's not done with me yet. And if you think he is, you are underestimating the power of the spirit in your life. No, he who began a good work in you, he's bringing it somewhere. He's bringing you somewhere. He's bringing you to completion. to the climax. To the totality or end game of who he's designed you to be. And so this is what he says later in that letter. So work it out. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Participated in it with him. I need to say something today that I think is going to be hard for some of us here to come to terms with. God has not come to make you happy. God has come to make you holy. To be sure, God comes to give you a better life. But if you define a better life as feeling good, being happy, and all things in the pursuit of happiness, you are going to be very disappointed and worse, often at odds with what God is trying to do in you. But if you define the better life as becoming more of the person that God has defined you to be, more of the person that he wants you to be, Oh, then that better life, he'll pour it out on you because that's what the Holy Spirit happens to do. And make no mistake, it's a process. 
a process filled with unique temptations, a process filled with setbacks, a process filled with, with times of having to struggle and work it out and figure it out, but God's hand is in it, molding and shaping and sanctifying you to become the saint that he has called you. And this will play out in every aspect of your life and the quality and character of who you are and your relationships within fellowship with other people. God working all of us to become more of who he's setting us apart to be. It's a lot like grafting. I want to show you this picture here today. You're looking at this tree. Now, I've never tried this, but it's always fascinated me. How people can take a branch of one tree and splice it into another. And that these two separate things will eventually grow together to be one fused whole in harmony. There's a picture. I was looking it up. I really should have showed it here today, but you can Google it. It's called the fruit of 40 trees. Google the image when you get home. What someone did is he took splices of 40 different kinds of fruit trees and spliced it into one trunk. And the tree now produces 40 different kinds of fruit. Isn't that amazing? What God does is he takes you and he fuses you into himself. The Spirit takes you and fuses you into himself. He grafts you in. Grafted into the Holy Spirit and the holy people of God. He grafts you in. And you who might be separate, you who might be weak, you who might be sick, you who might be dying, are now fused and grafted into the life source of becoming one with him. Do you understand maybe a little bit more now what it means how you can be holy? Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever remains in me, whoever is in me, grafted to me, connected to me, in my spirit, oh, he will do great things. He will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Because it's only the Holy Spirit that can make you holy. And I know that some of you thirst for it. Take heart, he does. And he will. And if I can encourage you to seek holiness in God above all other things. And see how that will change everything.